0: listening to Inherited Danger, Book 2 of the Dawning of Power Trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 3 on the cusp of life and death stands a veil of gossamer, and those who behold it are forever changed. Murchal Vallon, Soldier A terrified cry woke Katrin in the dawn hours, and she fell out of the chair she had been sleeping in. Pulling herself from the floor, she checked on Chase and drew a sharp breath. His body was covered in an angry rash. Every part of him was discolored and inflamed. I'm going to die, cat. I don't want to die, he said through swollen lips as Kenward and Benjamin arrived. Holding his breath, he endured while they inspected his wound, checked his temperature and pulse, and listened to his chest. I think you're going to make it, Kenward said with a smile. The rash is not life-threatening. It's one of the least deadly effects of Dreadroot. Dreadroot? You gave me Dreadroot? Are you mad? Were you trying to kill me? Chase asked, incredulous. He tried to sit up quickly, but immediately fell back to the hammock. You were near death, Chase. We had no choice, Katrin whispered, and he nodded slowly, asking with gestures for water. Once his thirst was quenched, He asked for food. The return of his appetite boded well for his recovery. Some great sorceress you are, Cat. We were behind you all that time, and you couldn't tell us from the enemy. What use are you, anyway? He said with a tired and forced smirk, which made her certain he would recover. Perhaps you should have thought of that before leaping on someone's sword, she said. He laughed a bit too hard and winced from the pain. You relax, she said, kissing him on the forehead. I'll get you something to eat. Are you having any trouble breathing? She heard Benjamin ask as she slipped out of the crowded cabin. She left the door open to freshen the air. Approaching Farsi, one of the crewmen she recognized, she asked if they could get broth for Chase. Farsi winked and pulled a polished piece of metal from his pocket. Then he began sending signals to the slippery eel. It took a moment before anyone responded, but when they did, the ensuing conversation of flashes was surprisingly short. "'The signal language is quite intricate,' he said. "'We can convey many things quickly, as long as both people are well-trained. The skill has saved many lives.' Katrin watched as two men from the Slippery Eel scrambled into a boat and rowed toward the stealthy shark. When they arrived, Farsi threw down a line, and the men below secured a heavy basket. Once it was on deck, Farsi opened it and revealed a surprisingly large amount of food. You didn't think he was the only one hungry, did you? he asked, seeing her look of surprise. No sense making a trip for a mug of broth, I'd say. Besides, I knew Grub would take care of us. He feeds us and we keep him afloat. It's a fair bargain for all. Catrin's stomach agreed with Farsi, and she thanked him. He nodded his reply, his mouth full of salted fish. Grabbing the covered mug of broth and some food for herself, she walked carefully back to Chase's cabin. The air in the cramped quarters was less foul when she returned, and a crewman had mopped the floor before throwing down some dried reeds. Chase slept, but the rich aroma of the broth soon brought him from his stupor. He accepted it with shaking hands and sipped it, savoring the flavor. He thanked Catrin, and she nodded, her mouth full of hard bread. Feeling much better after eating, she was thankful Farcy had thought to get enough for everyone. Chase emptied the mug and handed it back to Katrin with mumbled thanks. He was asleep as soon as the hammock cradled his head. With Chase cared for, and her fears for him diminishing, Katrin sought out Benjen. He stood near the helm with Kenward and Nat, and they seemed to be discussing plans for the rest of the voyage but they fell silent when Katrin approached. Chase is doing better. He's had some broth and is sleeping again, she said, and the tension lessened slightly. She stood for a moment watching Benjamin, her emotions spanning the gamut. She could not decide if she was more glad, hurt, angry, or scared. The overwhelming circumstances made it difficult for her to maintain her focus. And when Benjen met her eyes, the words that left her lips surprised everyone. Why didn't you tell me you were in love with my mother? She blurted, regretting the words as soon as she spoke them. Benjen was dumbstruck, and Nat looked as if she had physically assaulted him. A dreadful silence hung in the air, broken when Benjen spun fluidly. His face contorted in rage, he struck Nat as quick as a snake. Catrin barely saw him swing, but a sharp crack echoed across the water, quickly followed by the thud of Nat's body against the deck. Roaring in anger, Benjen spun away from Nat, and another crack resounded. Benjen's head snapped back, and Catrin stood, fists clenched trying to decide if she needed to hit him again. Blood welled on his lip. The sight of it was too much for her, and she retreated to Chase's cabin. No one on deck uttered a word as she fled, and tension continued to hang heavy in the air. Chase was awake when Katrin returned, and her distress must have been obvious. What's going on out there? he asked without waiting for her to sit. She let out a sigh and shook her head. It took a moment to compose herself before she could speak. Her voice wavered as she told the tale, and he listened in relative silence, letting out a low whistle when she told him about her father and Benjamin fighting over her mother. As she finished, she felt as if she had just poured her soul onto the cabin floor and left herself completely vulnerable. Things will be fine. Chase said, optimistically, and his cheer in the face of his condition shamed Katrin. She had crumbled under the weight of much smaller problems. The things Nat said had brought her pain, but they also brought her greater understanding of her circumstances. She realized her question must have been a shock to Benjamin, and probably brought him enormous pain. Again, she regretted her insensitive words. A brief meditation calmed her mind, and she considered seeking him out. Part of her wanted to avoid him, but she needed to make amends, knowing she would have no peace until she did. She found him at the bow of the ship, glowering at the sea and leaning heavily on the rail. Katrin read his posture. He wanted to be alone, but she decided not to honor his unspoken request for privacy. She approached him and placed her hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry, she said softly. He made no response for a few moments. He just continued to stare out at the endless waves. When he reached up and patted her hand, he left his hand covering hers, and she relaxed a bit. No more sorries from you, he said. Catherine put her arms around him and laid her head against his back. They stood quietly for a while, neither of them willing to break the silence. They had unpleasant business ahead of them, but they silently and mutually decided to enjoy a few moments of peace together first. The stillness was broken when Brynn called for all hands on deck, and everyone aboard the stealthy shark gathered near the bow, where Kenward awaited them. Your efforts have paid off, he announced. Both ships have been repaired sufficiently. We are ready to raise our sails and ride the wind. A cheer rose up from all those assembled, and the crew aboard the Slippery Eel answered in kind. Kenward began the difficult process of dividing his crew and the inexperienced travelers between the two ships. They would be hard-pressed to man both ships adequately, and everyone would have to work double shifts. Catrin and the others were assigned to experienced crewmen to act as assistants and runners. Glad to be paired up with Bryn, Katrin would remain on the stealthy shark, where Benjen would serve as partner to Farsi. Despite her repeated requests, Benjin refused to let her examine his wound. It's healing well, he said. I have no trouble performing my duties. Don't you worry any more about it. I'll be fine. Strom, Nat, and Osborne were assigned to the Slippery Eel. They exchanged quick hugs and farewells with Katrin. Even though they would be nearby, she missed them even before they departed. She hadn't yet had a single moment with them, since they had been busy helping the crew. They left with promises of many tales when they could be together again. Katrin noticed Benjamin talking with Nat and became alarmed but she was immensely relieved and proud of them both when they shook hands. The crews of both ships prepared to make full sail, and the new members of the crew were initiated in a frenzy of activity. Commands were issued, and admonitions abounded when mistakes were made. Praise was hard to come by, but when it was given, it meant a great deal more for its rarity. Catherine had helped a little during the first part of the journey, But now she was expected to act as part of the team, and her actions could determine another crewman's fate. Bryn did not tease her or challenge her as he had with the knots. Instead, he very seriously instructed her on which tasks were the most dangerous. She gave him her full attention and tried her best to complete each task, but many of the terms he used were unfamiliar to her, and he often had to do the work himself. Katrin watched closely, and she was proud that he never had to perform the same task twice. Once she had watched him do something, she was able to do it herself the next time. Even when struggling, she stubbornly insisted she needed no help. The days and nights were exhausting, but the crews found a rhythm and began to operate almost efficiently. One day... Kenward returned from the Slippery Eel for a surprise inspection. After scrutinizing every part of the stealthy shark, he called for all hands on deck, and the crew gathered quickly. Bryn stood nearest to Kenward, waiting for the verdict. The ship had been under his command, and it appeared he would take this evaluation as a reflection on himself. The condition of this ship is surprising. Kenward said, with obvious disappointment. Bryn did not hang his head, but the muscles in his jaw tightened, and Katrin knew he had hoped for better. Kenward smiled, no longer able to hold on to the lie. Considering the circumstances and the shortage of hands, you've done an exceptional job, and you are all to be commended for your efforts. I can expect no more from you, but I will continue to expect no less he continued, and the crew let out a cheer. Katrin and Benjamin will join me on the eel for the rest of the day. I'll return them on the morrow. Katrin was a bit surprised by the summons. She felt bad for leaving Bryn, but he assured her that her efforts had already reduced the backlog of work, and he would manage until she returned. She was still trying to determine if he was being sarcastic as she climbed down to the boat waiting below. On arrival, Kenward took them directly to the galley. Catherine was pleasantly surprised to see Strom, Osborne, Nat, and Vertook already seated in the large room, which held them all comfortably. Kenward gave them some time to greet one another, and the room was soon filled with the buzz of several conversations, along with the delightful aroma of the special meal Grubb was creating. Given their limited provisions, what Grubb provided was a feast. The honored guests were presented with a fillet of tuna coated with herbs and spices and wrapped in a thin layer of seaweed. The fillets were so large that they hung over the edges of the ship's largest wooden plates. Katrin noted with some interest that Benjen's fillet was the largest by a significant margin, and she did not miss the sly wink Grubb gave him. The galley grew quiet, except for the sounds of eating and groans of pleasure. As fine a meal as I've ever had, Kenward said. A thousand compliments, Grub. Will you eat with us? Catrin asked, noticing that Grubb did not eat. I have plenty to share if you would like some. I thank the lady for the invitation, he replied with a smile. She is quite considerate but I only eat when everyone else has been fed. Please, enjoy. He said it as if it were simple fact and not a matter of preference, so Catrin let it drop. Still, it bothered her to have someone else watching her dine, waiting for her to finish before he would eat. She wasn't sure she could consume such a large portion, but the meal disappeared more quickly than she would have imagined. Grubb cleared the plates and brought bowls filled with dates, prunes, dried apples, and a few sugared lemons. Everyone tried a little of each kind of treat, and they all commented on the quality of their feast, knowing it had taxed their stores. Their stomachs full, most leaned back and found comfortable positions to relax in, while Grubb served a deep red wine in small wooden mugs. Friends. Kenward said, I've asked you here to discuss our common goals and dangers. I've known some of you for many years, and others for a much shorter time, but we've already been through a lot together, and I consider us friends and allies. After all, we all owe each other our lives in some way or another. Now we must share what we know with one another. I fear we'll need all the knowledge we possess just to survive this struggle. Looks were exchanged as Kenward spoke, and Katrin noticed Benjamin shifting in his seat. She respected and trusted Kenward, and she listened intently as he continued. I must begin by asking if there is anyone here who has secrets they feel they must keep from the rest of the group. I want you to really think about this and be honest with yourselves. If you have any secrets you would not reveal to anyone in this room, even if their lives depended on it, then speak up now, he said, and waited patiently to see if anyone would respond. Katrin mentally sorted her deepest and darkest secrets, including things she had trouble admitting, even to herself. It was not a pleasant process, but if it would keep her companions from harm, she would reveal them all without another thought. Kenward let the silence hang while he refilled everyone's wine mugs. Katrin was surprised Grubb did not protest, but he was now happily eating his own meal, which made her feel much more comfortable. Good, Kenward said when no one responded. So it's safe to say we all trust one another. I know it's not always wise to reveal everything you hold in confidence, but we need to divulge anything relevant to this conflict. I'll be the first to reveal information I hold in confidence, as a show of faith. There are Jean ships in the Falcon Isles, and my family has been trading with them openly. The last I knew, my mother's ship was commissioned to make supply runs for the intermediate forces stationed there. She bought time by claiming they needed to wait for the next cutting of herbs in order to satisfy the quantities required by Archmaster Bellegra, which was a very convenient truth. I don't know if that relationship bought safety for my sister, but it is a possibility. I can only hope. The stealthy shark and slippery eel could not be seen in association with the legitimate trade fleet, and we departed as soon as the Jean arrived. We suspected the ships were chasing us, and we fled to the cove on the east coast of the Godfist. We've had no word since we left the Falcon Isles, and I don't know what has transpired there. We'll be approaching the Isles soon, and we'll need to make the last part of our journey quickly and under cover of night if we wish to remain undetected. We'll be traveling to a cluster of remote islands, and there we should find a message from my mother. It'll tell us which anchorage is currently safe and where to meet. Once we drop anchor, We'll take boats to the meeting place, and from there we can smuggle you aboard the Trader's Wind, my mother's ship. The journey to the Greatland is long and arduous under normal circumstances, but you'll be confined to private chambers, where you can travel unbeknownst to the others aboard. The solitude and confinement will be a trial, but it is your best chance to make it to the Greatland undetected. Fortunately, the trader's wind will be well supplied, and you should have no fear of starvation. Do you have any questions? It took a few moments for them to digest the information. Where will we go once we get to the Greatland? Strom asked, and Kenward gave others the chance to answer before he spoke. The trader's wind will be bound for New Moon Bay at Endland, that being the largest trade port on the east coast of the Greatland. There should be many merchant ships there from different parts of the Greatland. Perhaps you could disappear into the crowds. It would be a perilous venture. If you decide on a different destination, though, you need not go all the way to port aboard the Trader's Wind. There are ships much like the Slippery Eel that work around that area. Once you are within range of those smaller ships, we can arrange passage to just about anywhere on the coast and a few places where large rivers run inland, Kenward said, producing a large map of the Greatland, which he rolled out onto the table. Catrin studied the map and was dismayed by the size of the landmass so colorfully depicted. Gauging by the number of cities, rivers, and mountain ranges, the Greatland dwarfed the Godfist. The thought of such an enormous place intimidated her, and she wondered how they would decide on a suitable destination. Nat and Benjen had mentioned the Catherin monks, but she had no idea where they would be found. She considered asking, but then she realized Benjamin had not uttered a word, and he did not look at the map. He remained where he was seated, occasionally rubbing his shoulder and looking grim. Catherine was puzzled by his manner until Kenward spoke again. I think your destination depends a great deal on what happened in Mundleboro seventeen summers ago, and there is only one person here who can give a first-hand account of those events. I hate to draw you out of your silence, my old friend, but I've waited many years to hear this tale, and the telling is long overdue, he said, looking at Benjen. Cursing herself for not understanding sooner, Katrin sympathized with Benjamin. Kenward had set a trap for him, and he walked into it, knowing it for what it was, and allowing himself to be snared nonetheless. It was obvious he had no desire to relive those memories, but he must have decided it was indeed relevant, for he cleared his throat. Before he began, though, he walked to where Kenward stood. You may have a few gray hairs. But you've not changed a bit, he said. Oh. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out PodioRacket.com.